0: Really great to see you this morning. In case you don't know, we have a great Saturday night service. All three of our services are as as identical as we can make them, but uh, I especially want to appeal that if you have 7th and 8th graders, we're doing a Velocity Church for 7th and 8th graders on Saturday night, kind of a powerhouse experience for them. It's just for them in the powerhouse, and I'd encourage you to come check it out with your kids. Hey, as we're making our way this morning to the book of James, James chapter 4, let me make mention some good news. Last week uh, we uh, so, uh, received an offering to help uh, our sister church in Haiti. They had had a, just a terrible windstorm and it destroyed their tent, and uh, we were able to send them a check Friday for $5,000. So praise the Lord for that. Isn't that great? Thank the Lord for you that have given towards that. And uh, we believe that the gospel belongs around the whole world. I've been doing a series for the last several weeks called Unshakeable. Can you say that, Unshakeable? And the sense is you can either have unshakable faith or shakeable faith. In other words, you can be a believer, but when difficult times come in life, you can fall away. As Jesus taught us, you can be carried away if the storm comes and your life is built on the sand. But if your life is built on the rock, you will stand strong in the storms of life. And we've been looking at Bible characters each week and trying to learn something from each of them. And this morning, we're going to talk about the word dependence, and I'm going to look at the Apostle Paul. Now, I want to paint kind of a broad picture, but I want to ask you some questions about Paul. If we could kind of look big picture just a moment. Paul the Apostle was a man who had incredible spiritual power. I mean, everyone agrees that. The cessationist would agree that, I mean, listen, there was no one like him. The one that believes that the miracles of God are for today. We look at Paul as someone because he raised the dead. He was able to see sick people healed. He would pray for them. He'd lay hands on them. He would have supernatural revelation. He could discern when evil spirits were at work. He'd drive those spirits away. So I want to ask you this question. Why did God give that man such spiritual power? I want to ask you a series of questions, but I want you to think, why did God give that man such spiritual power? Paul was a man who had more spiritual revelation than anyone else in the New Testament. The Bible says he was literally caught up to the third heaven, which means somehow he was translated. He literally saw the Lord Jesus face to face. Jesus spoke to him. He taught him things. He gave him things. It was an incredible visions that God had given this man about life and about truth. I want to ask you this question. Why? Why Paul? Why did God give Paul such a level of revelation? Uh, Paul's spiritual accomplishments are unparalleled. We are here today in this room because Paul began to take the gospel to the Gentile world, which is all the non-Jewish people around the world. He made three trips through the Mediterranean world, planting churches wherever he would go, and the gospel radiated around the world from there. His third missions trip, he, went, he, he touched at Spain, and from Spain, ultimately, the gospel would come here to America. The last thing about Paul's life is everywhere he went, he had hardship and persecution. You'll find nobody else in the pages of Scripture that had as, much, as many beatings. Uh, one time, Paul was literally stoned to death, and God raised him back, back to life. But this man didn't quit. I mean, if someone, you know, let's say if you bow your head uh, one day at work and pray over your food. If you're at school or wherever you may be, and someone laughs at you, you may not do it the next day because you were persecuted. But yet, Paul had this incredible ability to stick to it. So again, I want to ask you, where did this come from? How did he find this ability not to be discouraged? So these four things, his spiritual power, his revelation, his accomplishments, and his ability to stand strong in adversity. where Why did all these things define this man? I'll suggest to you there's at least one word that defines Paul and why this door of spiritual strength and power came to this man, and it's the word dependence. There's a phrase from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that we'll come back to in a moment. But he's talking about all the great trouble he had. But he said it was so bad that he thought he would die. But as a result, he stopped relying on our, on himself and he learned to rely on God. That is, he stopped trusting in himself. He was not prideful. He was not independent. But rather, he became more dependent on God, more humble, more looking to God as the source of his strength. He would even tell us, as we look in today's scripture, that trouble... And personal limitation and weakness became doors for him to depend on God more. And when he did that, he found greater spiritual power in his life and a greater sense of God's presence that was around him. So I want to explore this man, Paul. And I'm going to look at words like pride, uh, pr- the, the proud, the humble, humility, independence, dependence. And I want you to see that not only among secular people, but among Christian people. We can either be depending on God or depending on ourselves. But for Paul, the secret of his great strength seemed to be that he depended on God for everything. Now, how many know ultimately we depend on God for everything? How many know ultimately God is behind the food chain that gives you food to eat? God was the one that gives you the the acuity in your fingers. He gives you the, the mental clarity to be able to do specific tasks and work. So however, whatever job you do for a living, God is the one that gives you strength to get out of bed. God is the one that keeps you healthy. Now, whether or not we acknowledge it and realize it is the question, but God is the one that literally causes his hand to be on us for everything good in our lives. So I want to explore this term dependence. Let's begin in the book of James, James chapter 4. Dependence is also termed as humility. It opens the door to God's presence and power in our life. Now let me say it again. Dependence or humility opens the door to God's power and God's presence in our lives. If there's one thing that I know that you and I desire as Christians this morning is we'd like to see a greater expression of God's power in our world. How about you? We'd like to have a greater awareness of God's presence certainly in our worship times, but also in our private times of life, that God is with us. Paul had this. And though there's certainly many reasons for it, one of the main ones is he totally depended on God. Now, I want you to explore this with me this morning. Let's look at James 4, verse 6. It tells us very simply that God opposes the... Yeah, but he gives grace to who? The humble. So you can either be opposed by God or you can be pushed along by God. God can either have his hand to stop you with some limitation. And it can be, listen, even proud people, it can be hugely successful. You may picture political figures or athletes or people that are in the entertainment industry. You may picture people that seem to be on the pinnacle of life. But yet even them, God's going to make sure they have a cap on their life. And sooner or later, the proud person will fall to the ground. Sooner or later, the proud athlete will have an injury. Sooner or later, the proud politician will be kicked from office. Sooner or later, things will happen that make people realize that they are not God, that they are not independent, but ultimately they are dependent on God. Now, I, I find in my life as a Christian, I can even have pride at work in my life. And how you, did you know the person sitting next to you can do? Even the person in your shoes can have pride working in their life. As we try to understand this, these words... Uh, Humility or humble—it's kind of an abstract term, kind of hard to get your to grasp and to get your get a handle on. And I'm going to take a few minutes to explain that word to you through both definition and example. But I want you to think first about this word pride, and I want you to look at your hand. Pride can have many fingers to it. For example, pride can be an arrogant person. Now, you think about someone. I understand there's a new uh, Michael Douglas movie coming out, Wall Street Two. Uh, I saw Wall Street on television a number of years ago, and, and he's anything but humble. I mean, he is, he is Mr. Arrogant. and We know what arrogance looks like. We've been surrounded with it at school. We're surrounded with it at work. We see it on the television. But pride can also refer to people that are self-reliant, people that are self-dependent. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody's help. I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I can figure it out. I don't need anybody's help or money. I've got enough money. I mean, no, that's all pride. But pride also has another cousin, it's shyness. It's a self-protected form of pride. For example, people are afraid to share their faith, their Christian faith. They're afraid to pray over a meal in public because people might laugh at them or people might reject them. What is that? That's a form of self-protection, and you can see all these fingers are joined in the hand and self is in the middle of that. So pride has a lot of different fingers to it, and the Bible says God will hold back proud people. He will ultimately put them down. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says that one day before Jesus, every knee will. What is that? Every knee will humble themselves. Every person will realize that God is strong and we are weak. Let me illustrate this through Daniel chapter four in Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon and he was a man that was filled with pride until God humbled him. Now, I mean, of the believer, God will do the same, too. He'll break us of our pride like you're breaking a wild stallion. Daniel chapter four, verse thirty King Nebuchadnezzar said these words. He said, look at this great city of Babylon. Now, I want you to notice the personal pronouns. Look at this great city of Babylon by my own mighty power. Say it with me. I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display majestic splendor. It's all about him. Now, how many know we can have that same attitude about our lives? It may not be as pronounced or as, or as prolific in terms of what we have and our influence, but we can be just as prideful. And I want you to see verse 31. That will ultimately get God's attention. In the New Testament, Herod, King Herod got God's attention when he took God's glory. The Bible says he was eaten with worms and died. I mean, pretty graphic. But God sees prideful people, people that are self-reliant, independent, don't acknowledge their need for God. Verse 31, while these words were still in this King Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're no longer ruler over this kingdom. Just like that, God can make a proud person humble. Just like that. He's doing it all the time. People are dying every day. And how many know perhaps even our journey through life and the death that we face is a, makes us realize that we cannot exist without God that we cannot, I don't care how much money you have, how good your doctor is, how good your attorney is, at some point you cannot exist without God. Nebuchadnezzar was brought down in a moment of time. Verse 32, the word was that you will be driven from human society. Now listen to this. You'll live in fields with wild animals and eat grass like a cow. If you can imagine, imagine the most powerful politician, the most powerful athlete or the most powerful actor. In one moment of time, you see them in all of their glory and their airplane. But the next moment, you see them in a field chewing on grass, slobber coming down their mouth. Listen, how many know God can bring you down? But notice what it says. You'll eat grass until. Can you say until? until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone He chooses. See, we think it's all about us. We think that if we're in a position of power, of influence, of success, that look what I've done. I've got the degrees to prove it. But my friend, God was the one who allows us to be promoted just like He allowed Nebuchadnezzar to be promoted. And every good thing in life is from His hand. And if we don't acknowledge that, God will get our attention and He'll allow us to come down until we realize that it's all about Him. See, here's the truth that I want to communicate to you this morning. Everything you have, everything you are, you, you, do, you can do, and everything you'll ever be able to do is because of Him. See, and I don't care whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, it's true for all of us as people. Now, contrast this with the guy we're talking about today, Paul the Apostle, in Philippians 4.13, Paul said that I can do all things through. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have spiritual power. I have spiritual revelation. I have great spiritual increase and accomplishment. And I'm able to stand strong in adversity because Christ strengthens me. And that is the, the source and the root of everything about our lives as Christian people. So our pride is not just our arrogance but our pride is reflected in our self-reliance and our, and our sense of, I did it. Now, I'm just as guilty as perhaps you are in this. Uh, I love to garden, and gardening's my hobby. And um, i got a fall garden growing. It's, I've got cabbage and broccoli probably that tall. It's looking good. And, you know, lettuce and spinach is growing. And So I put it on Facebook, and people are saying, oh, you're a good gardener. And, you know, all this is making me feel good, which is not a bad thing. But I felt the Holy Spirit. Just tell me this. He said, did you make those seeds grow or did I? See, so now when I go out to the garden, I hope I'll say, thank you, Lord, for allowing this garden to grow. See, pride is it doesn't have to just be this ugly thing. It can just be a sense of self. You can have a good job and have good money and and, and not realize that God is the one who gives me everything. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to mess with your sense of or your source of self-esteem. For most of us that have lived in America all our lives, the entire world that we've lived in has tried to make us feel better about ourselves. Well, what I want to do is I want to kind of challenge your self-confidence today and hopefully shift it to a God-confidence. I want to unearth your world a little bit. I got a minor in psychology when I was in college, and I had to virtually unlearn most of it because it was all centered around me, trying to make me feel better about myself. When the Bible's first description of me, the Bible says, there is no unrighteousness. There's no righteousness in me. All my righteousness is as a filthy rag. But in Christ, listen, I can do everything. In Christ, I can feel good about myself. If my self-esteem is tied to what people say about me or what they do for me, how many know it'll be just like this? If they're saying good things, I'm feeling good. If they're saying bad things, I'm feeling bad. But if my identity is in Christ who has adopted me as a son or a daughter into His kingdom, how many know I'm on top of the world all the time? So let's explore this idea about dependence today. And let me first give you several definitions And I'm going to look at several different sources as well. Now, this word dependence means being dependent on someone else. Now, have you ever said or observed people that said, I'm not going to depend on anybody? When I grow up, I'm not going to have to depend on anybody. Really? I want to depend on somebody every day. I don't want to depend on you, though. I want to depend on my Father in heaven. I want to recognize that He's the source of everything. Humility. Now, this is interesting. I looked at three different sources for definitions. I looked at the Webster's Dictionary, the 2003 version. It's probably what's on your computer. And here's what they said humility is to be humble. That's all they could give me. They don't have a clue. It's to be humble. Now, they did get one finger right. It's not proud or haughty. It's not arrogant or assertive. So they basically took one word, pride, and gave it three different synonyms. And that's all they could tell me. I wish they would go back and look at the original Webster's Dictionary of 1828. I've got a copy that they've reprinted of of that original dictionary. Listen to what they understood humility was. Because they, my friend, this was the spirit of the founding fathers. When the George Washingtons and crew and all those people, those early, early people in America, were looking for definition or sharing a common value, this is what they would go to. The word humility is from the root word humus. It means it's of the earth as opposed to our society that tries to exalt self, humility brings us right down to where we are. We're created. Listen, Adam was created from the dust of the ground, and He it's to the dust of the ground we return. So humility is, is instantly putting a difference between God and me. Uh, humility has with it a deep sense of unworthiness in the sight of God apart from Christ. Humiliness, humility is the submission to d- the divine will, and it even quotes two Scripture verses to show us what humility is. George Washington is quoted in Webster's Dictionary. He said humility, he said this, without a humble imitation of the divine author, and that's Christ, of our religion, we can never hope to be a happy nation. So it's interesting how humility in today's world has been divorced of anything about God, anything about our humanity, and only focuses on the Wall Street picture. Are you with me today? But you can go deeper than that. I went to a Bible dictionary, Nelson's Bible Dictionary, and listen to this. It says, humility is a freedom from arrogance and pride that, listen, that grows out of the recognition that all we have and all we are comes from God. Humility is the recognition that all we have and all we are comes from God. See, that was the basis of thought that made America a great nation. It went on to say this. The Greek philosophers despised humility. Humility. Now, most of our secular thinking in America can be traced back to the the Greek philosopher. They despised humility because to them it implied inadequacy, a lack of dignity, and a worthlessness. So they wouldn't ascribe to this humility that I'm talking about today, and our world doesn't either. But apart from Christ, my friends, we don't have worth or value, but in Christ we have infinite value and worth. You see, a humble person thinks more of others, particularly God, than they do of themselves. A prideful person thinks mainly of themselves. It is the fact that we are created in God's image and are believers in Christ that we have infinite worth and dignity. So when I look at myself in the mirror, my feeling good about myself is not based on how my hair looks or how my facial features are all those different things. The color of my skin, the, what my watch costs or what my clothes cost. But it's based on the fact, my friend, that God has accepted me and made me his child. Come on, give the Lord a big hand today. That gives me worth. That gives me value in life. But recognizing him as the source Makes me humble. Now, to be independent, of course, is opposite of that. Not dependent on anyone, not even God. Pride is, by definition, thinking too highly of yourself. Webster's 1828 quotes a scripture in Proverbs 16. There was none of this insane idea of separation of church and state to them. He said pride goes before destruction. Now, let me illustrate this through uh, Samson. In the Old Testament, Judges 16 Delilah cried, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. Now, when you think of Samson, what do you think about? What do you think about? Yeah, strong guy, can do anything. And Samson basically could whip anybody and take care of the biggest crew of people. But the Philistines are coming to capture you. And he woke up and he thought, well, I'll just do as I've done before. I'll shake myself free. But the Bible says he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. And can I tell you, pride makes you think that just because you did it yesterday... You can do it tomorrow. Pride makes you think that because you've got money in the bank, you can take care of yourself. See, pride makes you rely on yourself rather than God. And Samson had this track record of being able to do what he wanted to do, but the source of it was God, and he didn't even realize it when God's hand was lifted from his life. Preaching better than your amening this morning. Now, look at verse, uh, t- verse 21. The Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. You know, the Bible says that the proud will be brought low. But when we humble ourselves, what will God do? He'll exalt us. He'll lift us up. Now, look at verse 28 as we skip down. Now, Samson is now humiliated as a slave to these Philistine people, and they put him on parade in the temple. But verse 28 is a marked word. It says, then. Then, after this humbling time, after he'd been brought low, the Bible says Samson prayed to the Lord. Now, have you even thought about the nature of prayer? Why do you pray? Is it because God's too busy to know what you need and you're reminding him? No. Prayer. What prayer does is it simply does this. Is it says, Lord, I need you. Give me this day my daily bread. Even though I'm a hard worker, I have a good job, I'm well educated and I'm healthy. You give me this day my daily bread. Use the vehicle of my health and expertise. But you give me daily bread. See, and if you allow yourself, though, to have think too highly of yourself, you're in trouble but then Samson prayed. What he was doing is Samson realized, I'm weak. Well, how many know without God, he was still weak, even when he had his eyes and big muscles? And this is the big message today. It is God that causes us to have strong and be successful. But we sometimes don't realize it until our, our natural strength is gone. But what God did to Samson, he prayed to the Lord, remember me again. Please strengthen me one more time. And the anointing of God, God's strength came to him. He pushed down the pillars. And, of course, they fell on the Philistines and the pagans were destroyed. Now, that's the picture of a man that became proud. God humbled him. And in that humility, then he began to call on God for his strength. So wouldn't it be better for us if we don't have to take that journey, but if we humble ourselves? Wouldn't it be better for us if daily we realize God is the one that makes the seed grow in the garden? Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Pride will close the door to God's presence and power because it robs God of His glory. Now, all that's kind of background because the gist, gist of my message today is simply this, is that, is that dependence and humility will open the door to God's power in our lives humility and dependence will open the door to God's presence in our life. Because you remember Paul, he had great miracles, he had great revelation, he had had great success, and he had great ability to be strong, but it was all because he depended on God. Now let's look at his writings. It's interesting as you'll read this passage, the Bible does tell us to humble ourselves, but oftentimes God will use two things to help you become more dependent on Him, and we don't like either one of them. One of them is trouble, and one of them is weakness or limitation. Now, both of those are resisted with everything that's within us, but Paul found that if I can take the journey through those things and depend on God in a greater way, I'll be stronger because I've become weaker. Hang on with me. Let's read the passage. Second Corinthians chapter 1, let's first talk about trouble being a door to greater dependence on God. Now, verse 8, Paul is a missionary. He's serving the Lord. He's expanding the kingdom. He's had all this great revelation, but he said, we think you ought to know about the trouble we went through in Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we'd never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Hey, have you ever been there? I- I've never been that far, you know, where I just thought it was so bad I was going to die. Now, I've been discouraged. I've been depressed. I've done without. I've had problems. But I've never been to the place where I thought it was so bad I was going to die. Paul said, I was there. But now I want you to look at this next phrase. And if you don't hear anything else today, let this passage define you. He said, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God. This trouble was so overwhelming, I couldn't do it on my own. But this made me stop trusting in myself. And start relying on God, depending on Him. And now the door of this supernatural power opens. The God who does what? Raises the dead. Now see this. Trouble, even if it's trouble from the devil. You don't have to care where trouble comes from. Your question is, what do you do when you're in the middle of it? And Paul, rather than just trying to rebuke the trouble away, he found God in the middle of it. We stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely on God. And God rescued us. Now listen to that. Here's a man that is stronger now that he's become weaker. Here's a man that has more faith now that he's reached the end of his ability. Here's a man who has greater power because he's reached the place of total dependence. Verse 10 says he did rescue us from mortal danger and he'll rescue us again. He didn't say, I'll rescue myself. He didn't say, uh, he didn't say I'll, I'll get more guards to protect me. He didn't say, I'll do a better job by getting a better ship so it doesn't crash. No, he said, God will protect me. We've placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. And by the way, you're helping by praying for us. Now, there's the picture in this. What happens to Paul's faith when trouble came? I'll tell you, my friends, it's this. Shakeable faith... Became unshakable. A man that thought he was going to die. What does that mean? It means his faith was shaking. It means this trouble was overwhelming. He's just like you and I. He worried. He fret. He got anxious. He got scared. He lost his faith. Doubt and unbelief were more defining in his life. But somehow in the process, he connected with God. If you've ever had major surgery, how many know the difference between major surgery and minor surgery? Minor surgery is when it's on you. Major surgeries when it's on me. You can be in the waiting room and you're there. You know, you're kind of prepped and ready to go. Your friends are there. Your spouse, your mom is there. And and they're all there to support you. But at some point, the nurse or someone comes in and said, it's time to go. Now, you're going to have to leave them behind. Now, who do you have to hold on to at that point? God. And you were scared to death going in that thing. But when you woke up, you realized that God protected me and cared for me. I'm grateful for a skilled anesthesiologist, but listen, people die on the table. You signed the form before you went in that you may potentially die and not make it through this surgery. And that's making you aware of the humus, of the humility that you cannot ultimately control your life, but your life is in the hand of God. See, even if he uses an intermediary of a surgeon, of an airplane pilot, or someone else that you're trusting your life to, ultimately, listen, I want to trust my life not to the best doctor in the world. I want to trust my life to the great physician, Jesus himself. Give the Lord a big hand this morning. That's, that's key. It's powerful. When they stopped depending on themselves and started to depend on God more, they experienced the power of God in supernatural deliverance. Listen, it's not fun. Nobody wants trouble, most of all me. I don't want it. I'd rather you have it and see you kind of go through it. But I can tell you this, there's a door for power to come in your life. Now, let me give you something else. Go to 2 Corinthians 12, the second writing of Paul. I'll look at three, three briefly. This one in a little greater depth. But 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. I use the word, and it's on the screen, dependence is a door to spiritual power, but more correctly, weakness. Weakness or limitation is a door to spiritual power. Now, the last thing any American man wants to hear is that it's better to be weak than strong. Now, think about what we're saying. I'm not talking about muscles. I'm not talking about weight. I'm not talking about your ability to handle pressure and stress and all that. I'm talking about an ultimate recognition that of myself, I can't do anything, but with Christ, I can do everything. I don't care if you're the president of the United States, the, the president of the largest company in the world. Apart from Christ, I can't do anything, but with Christ, I can do anything he asks me to do. See, you and I should have the greatest sense of confidence in our life. But it's not self-confidence, it's God-confidence. Second Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul said, Even though I received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming... There's our word that God hates. I was given a thorn or a stake in the flesh... It was a messenger of Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming. I don't like this scripture and I don't like the implications and dynamics of it. But I studied this passage from a number of Greek commentaries and there's no way around this. It means what it says. It's not some mystical hidden meaning in this. He didn't just get out of it. But But in his life, God somehow recognized that a little discomfort was more important than a little less pain. I mean, than pride. And God allowed something, an affliction, some limitation in his life. In verse 8, you can identify with this. Three times I beg the Lord to take it away. You ever been there? Now, sometimes we're supposed to pray and keep on praying and persistent gets the answer. But other times, something that's a part of our life is not supposed to go away. It's something that we're supposed to live with because what it produces in us. You got real quiet on me. Each time he prayed, verse 9, God said, these words are in red in your Bible, my grace is all you need. Really? I thought I needed money. I thought I needed glasses. I thought I needed uh, more money. I I thought I needed a, a, a smarter staff. My grace. Is all unique. Now, he may use all those things. He may allow you to have glasses. He may use money and he may use your staff. But his grace, which is basically a flow of God himself in our lives, his provision, his ability. And this next phrase my mind can't get around it. My power works best in weakness. God's power works best when I'm dependent. See, it's not weak that I can't pick up, you know, a hundred pounds. Weakness is dependence. Weakness is not independence and it's not pride. But God's power flows best through a vessel that is totally dependent on God and totally trusting in him. And now he said, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. You want more spiritual power? then don't just keep fighting your weakness. Maybe in the midst of your weakness, you need to be finding God, connecting with Him, because it's through your weakness His power comes. That's what it says. I got about a fourth of you on board with me here. I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, so the here it says again, the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in weakness, in insult, hardship, persecution, trouble, that I suffer for Christ Look at this incredible word. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I realize I am humus, then I'm strong. Now listen, I may have a brand new $40 million airplane parked right out in front of my $10 million house, but I realize when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I may have tens of thousands of people that hearken to my command, but when I realize I'm weak, then I'm strong. You see, I may, I may be the best golfer, the best quarterback, the best this or that, but I realize it's when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, some players, when they catch the touchdown pass, they... are oh, Mr. T, I'm the baddest in the world. But other people, when they throw the winning pitch... See, it's not about not doing a good job. It's not about belittling yourself or being inferior. Weakness is not inferiority. Weakness is simply a recognition that in him I live and move and have my being. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. I'm going to close with Acts seventeen, twenty eight. Paul said these words, and as I just he's preaching to the Athenian people. They're idolaters. He is talking to them. He's in front of an idol that's dedicated to the unknown God. And he said, I'm going to tell you who this God is. And he said these words. He said, in him, in Christ, I live and I move and I have my being. Now think about this. What that means is everything I can do, everything I have, everything I am, is because of Jesus Christ. And that, my friend, I believe was the key To his spiritual power, his revelations, his great accomplishment, and his great strength to endure under hardship. It's because he realized that God was his source. It's like the difference between running a a transistor radio or or your CD player, your boombox on batteries, or plugging it into the power source. I'm telling you, it's in him, it's happening. So I hope this is connected with you a little bit. I hope you got a little bit from this this morning. Because all of us as serious Christians want to see more power in our life. We want to see more demonstration of the working of God's Spirit that we read about on the pages of the Bible. All of us in this room today want a greater sense of God's presence in our life. And I'll close with this. There's kind of three ways that that humility or weakness or dependence come to us. One is the Bible simply tells us to humble ourselves. It's to walk out in front of your garden and before you put your picture up and say, look what I did, it's to say, thanks, Lord, for making that garden grow. Now, you do it every day of your life. It might start in the morning for you when you roll out of bed and put your feet on the floor. Just say, thank you, Lord, for keeping me through the night. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to live another day. Maybe it's you. Maybe you got a big deal to close this week. And maybe you're going to get one of your largest commission checks. But when you get it, before you spend it, you look at it and you say, Lord, I want to thank you that you gave me this. Well, yeah, but but I worked on the deal for 12 months. and 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 I studied and I got connected and I... I but thank you, Lord, that you're the one that gave me this. It's a recognition that it's in him we live and move and have our being. That's humbling ourselves. Lord, you make the seed grow. But the second one is the next time you face trouble, the next time you're kind of getting smacked around a little bit and you're ready to give up and quit or fight or whatever, you, why don't you just say, Lord, rather than just hurry up and make this go away, Lord, could I just find you in the middle of this trouble? That's what Paul said. It was so bad I thought I was going to die. But this happened so I wouldn't depend on myself but on God who raises the dead. So maybe your view of trouble may be a little bit different today. And then the third one was weakness. He said, when I'm weak, then... So when you have a limitation in your life, there's something you can't do, there's something you don't have, maybe rather than just that being impetus to go borrow money or find somebody bigger or stronger or hustle, maybe it's an opportunity to say, okay, Lord, I'm waiting for your strength because I realize I can't do this without you. Thank God. Holy Spirit, we just... uh, I want to pray that everything that was true and good and of the Word of God would just sink deeply in us now. As the parable of the sower taught us, the devil wants to come and steal the Word away, but I want to pray that it would go deeply in, in our hearts. Anything, Lord, that was just my opinion, let it evaporate. But let truth, Lord, take root deep in us. Because everyone in this room today wants to be a godlier person. Everyone in this room wants to know of your power and know more of your presence. But every one of us in this room needs to die from our pride. Every one of us today needs to see the dividing line because we're limited and God's not. Every one of us in this room needs more confidence, but the confidence we need is God confidence, not self-confidence. So would you just come, Holy Spirit, and just settle on us to help us become the people that you want us to be? In Jesus' name. Let me ask you this. We're going to close our service this way today. We're going to have a time to pray just for you. I think it's the most important part of the service. But what has the Holy Spirit been saying to you this morning? I can guarantee you the Lord's been talking to you. It may be something very specific about this whole pride, humility thing. It may be very important for you in your life that when people come up, uh, leaders come up and offer prayer, that you humble yourself and, and come for prayer. You may have something you're battling against, and you see the doctor every week, but you've never sought a Christian, a man of God, to pray for you and anoint you. Maybe pride stands in the way. I don't know. But these altars are open for whatever your need may be today. You may have some struggles in life. Maybe your kids are gone a little haywire. Maybe your job is uncertain. Maybe worry and fear plague you. Maybe it's some addiction. I don't know what it may be, but I'm telling you, God can help you. And this is not just for members of Church on the Rock. This is for everybody. This is for any person that wants a connection with God, that God would help them in their spiritual life. Because there's many people that are here today, I believe, that are not where they need to be spiritually. If you were to die today, there's folks that are here today that don't know if you'd go to heaven or hell. You can settle that today. You can make a choice today to receive Christ as your Savior. You can make a choice today to turn your back on sin and and invite Jesus in your heart and ask for His forgiveness to turn away from the world and begin to follow Christ. You can do that today. Someone will be delighted to pray for you. But whatever you need, may be, maybe maybe you're just hungry for more of God. Maybe you're seeking the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you want to see more of God's power in your life and you want someone to pray for you. Whatever it is, my friend, somebody will be here. We'll stand and we'll believe God. It'll move in your life in the power of prayer. And here's the way we're going to do it. In just a second, Pastor Nick's going to begin to sing a song, and we're all going to stand to make it easy to slip out. But our our prayer team is going to come to the altar. I want you to just come right behind them and find somebody, and they're going to pray with you and believe that God's going to touch your life. Praise the Lord. Hey, it's been a great day. Let's go ahead and sing. We're going to sing this through a couple times and you'll be free to be dismissed. But once you stand to your feet right now. I want our prayer team, they're going to come to the front and if you want prayer for anything in your life this morning, you come and let somebody pray for you today. Go ahead and just begin to sing, Pastor, and the church is going to join you. You come let somebody pray for you today. Not where you need to be spiritually. Whatever the case may be, you come and somebody will pray today. you got something you're struggling with in your life today. Sick in your body, sick in your soul, you need help. You come and somebody will stand with you this morning. Let's all sing it, folks. You come and let us pray for you. Lord, I give you my heart, I give my soul.